0: You this morning, Father's Day message. So, this is for dads, but this is also the Bible that we're preaching here, so it's going to come over the plate for all of us. Speaking of coming over the plate, just ask all you LSU fans to cheer on the Ole Miss Rebels this, this evening in the College World Series, game one. If you're not a College World Series or baseball fan, um, Rebels are playing today in Omaha, Nebraska. They've appropriately renamed it Omaha. No laughter. Come on, you guys. It's just a bunch of Tiger fans? I heard that Omaha actually stands for Ole Miss at home again, so. All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Any chance I get, so. Um we're gonna begin our time this morning. Just want to introduce y'all uh, to a brief Father's Day video we're gonna watch, and uh, then we'll get going. So guys, can we can we play that together? Good job, Lauren. Okay, I got it. Dad. Okay, don't forget to carry the one. Dad. Okay, that was delicious, thank you. Right, hold on there, kiddo. Dad? Say cheese. cheese. There you go. OK, just one more. Hold your trophy up a little bit higher. Dad? Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Mm. Dad? I love it. Um, no. Dad? Dad. And they were here first. Dad. So you want to go catch a movie at like 7:30 or something? (sighs) Dad. And one more. Okay, one more. Okay, let's go. Wait, wait, wait! Come on, just one more, one more. Dad. I'm so proud of you. Now, you just got to get a job. Dad. You look beautiful. Aw, Dad. Uh, And stand just a little closer together, and move just a little bit to the left, Uh, my left, Uh, a little more. Dad. We're going we're gonna to take some time and thank God for dads at the end of the service and pray for y'all. Would you join me in praying now to the Lord for our time together? Father in heaven, what a privilege it is for us to call you Father. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love for us, your care for us. I to pray this morning as we hear your word opened and preached. Lord Jesus, you would be lifted high and magnified, glorified. You would comfort our hearts, Holy Spirit. You would encourage us and give us hope and instruction. We pray these things through Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love the video we just watched for a couple of reasons. Number one, it, it celebrates dads. And on a day like today, that is totally appropriate. But number two, it highlights an escapable reality that we all know to be true. And that is that fatherhood matters. Fatherhood matters. God, God has called fathers to play an irreplaceable role in the lives of their children. And we don't, we don't just have to learn that from a video... We read that in Scripture as well, right? In scriptures like Deuteronomy six, five through seven, God instructing fathers. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise. Ephesians six, four instructed the fathers. Not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not turn from it. The Bible, the Bible recognizes that fatherhood matters. And some of us this morning are happily aware of that reality. and Some of us could be painfully aware of that reality, happily, maybe your dad humbly and gladly accepted his responsibilities as a father and and cared for you and loved for you well, and you're celebrating that today. Maybe today's a painful day, though. Maybe you're here as someone who's grieving the loss of a father. Maybe you're here as someone with heartbreaking memories of a father who Violated your trust and protection somehow. Maybe you're here as a guy that is longing to be a father. Maybe you're here as a dad that's just full of regrets. Maybe it's a combination of these. Regardless of how fatherhood has impacted you, it's impacted you. It matters to our lives. You know, I think we've all heard studies on why fatherhood matters and seen research. I'm going to spare you of stats and studies. But virtually all research we come across tells us that a good father is vital to the future success of his children. It's inescapable. It's a reality. Yet, despite this undeniable reality, a growing number of voices in our culture insist that fatherhood and its implicated masculinity are archaic notions that ought to be discarded. Examples of fatherhood being under attack abound in the Western world, don't they? We see it in the Machuistic expectations our society places upon a man at an early age. That for a guy to be a true man, he must, he must walk around with swagger. One-upping other guys at the gym on the bench press, winking and nodding at the latest sexual exploit of his friends, and laughing when someone gets cussed out or knocked out by another guy. If a man does not embrace this ridiculous, childish expectation, then our culture in many ways would say he's not a man. We also see attacks on fatherhood in the world of entertainment. Turn on the television. Watch just about any channel for one evening, and a particular pattern begins to emerge, right? The dad is often portrayed as wimpy, ignorant, lazy, and dumb. Have you ever noticed that on most TV shows, everyone is smarter, more mature, and better adjusted to life than dad? You would think that all fathers in our country have actually become Homer Simpson. And it's not just limited to television shows. Seth Stevenson with Slate Magazine writes, ad after ad makes doltish dad the butt of all jokes. He's outwitted by his children. He's the target of condescending eye rolls from his wife. He's a dumb, incompetent, sometimes even selfish, oath, but his family loves him anyway. For example, a Huggies diapers commercial, which aired earlier last year, stated, to prove Huggies can handle just about anything, We put them to the toughest test imaginable. The toughest test imaginable. Dads, alone with their babies, in one house for five days. No doubt, moms would handle that situation better. But really, Huggies, I mean the toughest test imaginable. I don't think so. In addition to the attacks on fathers through the media, we're seeing more and more of what has been called the feminization of men in which men are being pressured to live their lives from a womanly perspective. This tends to come out most clearly in relationships. It occurs when the boy's father is absent during formative years of his life. And he's surrounded and influenced and reared and trained lovingly and educated lovingly by women rather than a man in his life which I think points to an even larger problem. I don't think media is the real problem. I don't think our culture is the real problem. I think those are just broader reflections of something that was already devastatingly true about a lot of fathers in general, which is the fact that in in many homes across America, fathers have been extremely negligent of their families. Dads, Dads have not been doing their jobs in our country Many fathers have not gladly and humbly accepted their God-given responsibilities of fatherhood, but rather instead they've shirked them. Listen, now, there's a lot of good dads here this morning, and that's a blessing. We need to thank God for that. But That's just not the reality in our country. Whether through laziness, escapism, busyness, entertainment, or aimlessness, fathers across our country are daily and desperately avoiding their duties as dads. One example of this is the reality that in many sectors of our society, what fathers are most noted by is their absence. Millions of American children are growing up without any significant father figure, much less their biological father. Author David Blankenhorn writes in your notes there, The United States is becoming an increasingly fatherless society. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to fatherlessness is now approaching a rough parity with fatherhood as a defining feature of american childhood we we live in fatherless times church 43% of us children live without their father the united states is the world's leader in fatherless families 2 years ago over 1.6 million babies were born out of wedlock one out of every 3 child lives in a biological father absent home this should not be do you know why probably think of a lot of reasons but you know the most important reason this should not be it's because that's not what god is like as a father God is not like that. And, and we, we don't need to project these negative depictions and sad statistics onto God, the Father. Because he's simply not like that. And not only is God not like that as Father, that's not how God has called us to be as fathers. God has given us clear instructions as dads to image Him. And many of you, many of you are doing that and so we thank God for that. But I think, whether we're, we're 50 years into being a father or five years into being a father or five months into being a father, in light of the sobering and significant responsibilities, in light of our sinful tendencies and weaknesses, in light of who God is as father and the fact that he calls us to image him as fathers to our children, I think we, we, we need some help in this category. We need some encouragement in this category. We need some hope in this category to live as not only loving fathers who image God to our children, but salt and light in our culture as well, in our world. And show the world what God is like as Father. And I believe that in these verses, in Romans 8, 14 through 19, we're going to see a couple wonderful things. We're going to see first how God is like as a Father. You want to see what God is like as a Father to you. No matter if you're, wherever you are in life, if you're a Christian, this is who He is to you. And we're also going to see how we as fathers can image him to our children. Right? So let's read these verses together. Starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's, here's the big idea this morning that we get from this text. and these verses, this is what I think the Lord wants to tell us this morning. The privilege of knowing God as Father produces a pattern of imaging God as fathers. The privilege that we have to know God as Father produces a pattern. For us as fathers to image him to our children. Seeing God as father shows us what fatherhood should look like. In other words, the very idea of what it means to be a father is found in the divine nature of God. Fatherhood exists because God, God is father. And every human father is an imperfect reflection of our perfect heavenly father. If you want to know what it means to be a good father, it's essential that you look at the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to see how he acts as a father dealing with his children. And Douglas Wilson says this in his book, Father Hunger. The Bible tells us that fatherhood is the font of the triune Godhead, and that all fatherhood here on earth is a reflection of that deep fatherhood. For to If we're to image God in our fatherhood, dads, let's let's enjoy looking together at how God deals with his children. And this is for, for all of us. So here's the first thing we see about God as a father, how he deals with us. First, God gently leads his children. God leads his children. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God leads you. You're not not alone in this life. You're not left out on your own in this life. Your Father's with you. And He leads you. There are... Unpleasant certainties in your life right now. If there are changes that have left you a bit shaky. You fear not. Your father has not left you. But he's leading you through this life. now while it's true God leads us in a variety of ways. And I've kind of provided some scriptures in your notes of different ways God leads us. Primarily he leads us by his word. But what Paul has in mind here specifically in this verse, in Romans eight fourteen, is this. That God by his spirit leads us in putting to death our sin. This means he moves us to, as verse 13 says... Put to death the deeds of the body. You see that there in verse 13. In other words, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us in paths of obedience to our heavenly Father. He seeks to enlighten and persuade us to turn from sin. And He doesn't beat us over the head and harass us into obeying. He gently leads us by his spirit. There's no compulsion or driving, but he's consistently and powerfully putting in us desires to obey and to live according to the father's will. Do you have desires to turn from sin? That is God. That is God leading you kindly, right? Patiently, and powerfully. That's how you know you are a child of God. As fathers called to image our Heavenly Father, then, you know, dads, we we can be leading our children in the same way. Gently and lovingly helping your children turn from sin and pursue holiness. Diligently teach them the scriptures and train them up in the way They should go. I'm so grateful Pastor Keith is leading us through the Summer Bible Jam. What an opportunity for you and your kids, their appropriate age, to to lead them to the Word. Lead them to the Lord. You can take that opportunity to do that and show them the lamp that lights their path. I'm sure you can think of more examples. Dads, our Father leads us. We can help lead our children in the same way. What a privilege. Number two, the the second way we see God as a father and how he deals with us is that God does not scare us. God does not scare us. Look at verse 15a. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit Christian whom you have received does not produce a slavish and anxious state of mind such as those who are having those experiences under the law find but he produces feelings of affection reverence respect and confidence that enables us out of the fullness of our hearts to call God our father he doesn't provoke us to anger or act in deliberate unkind ways He doesn't create a culture of fear and worry for his children to live in. No, he casts out this kind of fear. John reminds us of this in 1 John four eighteen. It says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, this does not rule out the positive, constructive fear of the Lord that we are to have as Christians, which is the beginning of all knowledge. What John is speaking of here, what, what Paul's talking about in this verse, is the fear of the final judgment. It's the fear of facing God's eternal wrath. It's the fear of punishment for all eternity that Christians no longer have to be scared of facing. God doesn't scare us with that. God's perfect love for believers casts that out. Later in in, earlier in John three eighteen, the apostle writes, Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you do not have Jesus, then you are not God's child. And the Bible says you should be terrified at the prospect of facing God's wrath for sin. But if you have Jesus, and you are God's child, and as Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Later at the end of this chapter, if God is for you, who can be against you? Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. If you have Jesus, you don't have to live in the fear of facing punishment for all the wrongs you've ever done or all the wrongs you ever will do. That punishment was taken out on God's own Son, on the cross, on your behalf. As a loving Father... God does not scare us. He does, he does discipline his children, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and that's out of love, not out of anger. It's to help us. It's always for our good. But he doesn't scare us. Dads, no matter what our children do, we should avoid inducing fear in them or threatening them. Ephesians four says, Do not provoke your children to anger. Raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. God is not a domineering, careless, abusive father. And, and we should not be domineering, careless, abusive fathers in any way. Not provoking them to anger also means we don't become like Pharisees in our home. Who just lay these irrational demands on our children that they, they can't carry. Further implications would include avoiding infliction of serious pain on our children and correcting them. Rather, using the rod wisely when appropriate and never in anger. This is is just consistent with how God deals with us. How God is a father to his children. There's no culture of terror in God's family. No threats or irrational demands. God does not scare his children. He's a good and gracious father to us. Third, God chose to adopt us. He chose to adopt you. Look at 15b. It says that we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Christians are are no longer slaves to sin but are adopted as sons and daughters into God's family as evidenced by the Spirit that cries out within them that God is their Father. Listen, God has formally and fully and legally chosen to adopt you into His family. To make you His child when you were once not His child. This adoption rests on the loving purpose and grace of God and not on any meritorious works on the ones that he's adopted. It's not like we were just well-behaved kids. God said, I'll take that one. If you know me, you know that's not the case. And that's true of every Christian. But God lovingly set his affection on us. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 that God the Father in love... Predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us. God freely and purposefully chose to adopt you. He chose to form a very intimate relationship with with you, so much, so much more can be said about the glorious doctrine of adoption. But, you know, what I believe this morning, what God wants to emphasize on Father's Day is that He chose to be your loving Father. He didn't abandon you in your rebellion against Him. He didn't leave you on your own. Now, he went to the greatest extent necessary to ensure that you're brought back and that you're with him for all eternity. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up to have you as his son and you as his daughter. Dads, we, we, we must be like this with our children we must choose to stay meaningfully involved in our children's lives. Choose to love and be with them. Don't don't leave. Don't leave. And don't be present yet unaccounted for. You know what I'm talking about. Be there. God's there. For you as a father just be there for our children be in their lives your, your children need you to be there they need you to, to be present they need you to love and support and, and with your words affirm them as a father your love for them fourth how does God deal with us Number four, God provides for his children. God provides for us. Look at verse 17a. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here the word heir indicates a legal distribution of possessions or lots to one's own children as God's children we are heirs of God's promises this means we take into possession the riches of knowing Christ Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3 21 through 23 listen to this for all things belong to you whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God what is our inheritance? It's the world, it's the earth, it's all that is in it. It's all things. This includes spiritual blessings as well, and, and all of our provisional needs. Paul says in Ephesians 1:3, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing." In Philippians 4:11, "And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches." In glory in Christ Jesus. As God's children, we are provided with all we need in Christ. And more, we are richly blessed. As fathers, we, we are ultimately responsible for ensuring that our family's physical, spiritual, and financial needs are being met. In regards to financial provision for your family, this doesn't mean the wife uh, should not assist in maintaining support for the family or should not work. By no means. Actually, Proverbs 31 pictures a woman with great ability in the business affairs of the family. What this means is that the man should feel the weight of the responsibility to provide. Men, do you feel that? Do you know why you feel that? It's because that's who God is. And you're made in His image. And he's given us that responsibility. In the words of John Piper, if there is no bread on the table, it's the man who should feel the greatest burden to get the bread on the table. Now, how that happens looks different for everyone. Uh, in some cases, the dad is unable to do this. We're, just, we're, we're talking about an attitude here. We're talking about um, a res- an embracing of a responsibility in your heart of what God has called you to do. Whatever a dad thinks he is called to, I think this much is clear. He's called to provide for his family. One of the most God-glorifying pictures of the gospel is when a father puts his childhood dreams to the side, steps up to the plate, gets a job and valiantly provides for his family. This dad should be honored and his work should be appreciated. And Paul uses some of the strongest language in the New Testament to warn those who do not provide. But if any man does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.8 J.D. Gunter says in response to this text, One of the saddest pictures of gospel confusion is when a man fails to pursue providing for his family because he's stuck chasing the clouds of his youth. Scripture commands men to give themselves up for their wives, just as Christ gave himself up for the church. And when a man stubbornly refuses to get a job that will support his family, or worse still, when he obligates his wife to provide in his stead because he is entitled to chasing his dreams, pursuing his calling, the Bible gives us reason to doubt that man's faith. Unbelievers... Intuitively know that this is wrong and the conscience of the redeemed condemns it too. God provides for his children. Fathers are to do no difference. Dads, what are your, what are your children inheriting from you? How are you providing for them? And not, not just financially. What about the relational currency? you making deposits there. Providing for them the kind of father who loves and listens to them, who cares for them, Do they know that their father loves them? The nature of God is at stake when we do not carry out these responsibilities. God provides for us. Fifth, God is with us through the good times and the bad. Isn't that great? He's with you through the good times and the bad. Verse 17b, we suffer with him and are glorified with him. He's there with us in both. Believers, Christians are united with Christ. Therefore, we suffer with him and we will be glorified with him. In this life, you're going to face hardships, right? Many of you have and are. There will be suffering for the Christian and God is with us in the suffering. He knows our sufferings. He he draws near to us in our sufferings. His grace is made perfect in our weakness. He more than compensates for our adversity. Christ in Scripture is called the suffering servant. If you're suffering this morning, God is with you. He, He draws near to you. Whether it be the loss of a loved one, A disease you're battling, physical or mental pain, calamity, or even forms of persecution, God is with you. And when this life is over, and when Christ returns for his church, his bride, we're going to be glorified with him there. And be with him in glory forever. God is there for his children through the good times and the bad. He's not just there at the finish line. He's there with you when you struggle to take your very first steps. You might remember this in the 1992 Olympics. The summer games in Barcelona. Derek Redmond was determined to win a medal in the 400. The color of the medal was meaningless to him. He just wanted to win one. Just one. In 1988, he had been forced to withdraw from the 400 race only 10 minutes before it happened. Because he tore his Achilles tendon. He then underwent five surgeries over the next year. So, when the 1992 games arrived, and this was his time, he was capable and he was wanting to win. This was his shot. Well, not long into the race, Redmond breaks free of the other runners and he takes the lead, but down the backstretch, only 175 meters away from finishing, he suddenly hears a pop. It's in his right hamstring. He pulls up lame, as if he'd been shot. Redman begins hopping on one leg. He wants to to finish. He's waited a long time. He's trained hard. He wants to finish this race. But finally, he he slows down and he just falls on the track. As he lays on the track, clutching his right hamstring, medical personnel rush toward him. and, And not only medical personnel, but... Listen to this, Derek's father, Jim, seeing his son in trouble, races down from the top row, 65,000 people here, races down from the top row of the stands, sidestepping people, bumping into people. He has no credentials to be on the track, but all he can think about is, I want to get to my son. I want to help him. Then, in a moment that will live forever in the minds of millions, Jim Redmond comes to the aid of his son. He picks him up. said I'm here son he says softly he hugs him he says we're going to finish this race together Derek puts his arms around his father's shoulder and sobs and together arm in arm father and son with 65,000 people cheering clapping all the other runners had finished by now everybody's cheering and clapping crying they they finished the race and a couple steps from the finish line with the crowd in an absolute frenzy Jim releases the grip of his own son and allowed Derek to cross the finish line by himself. Then he, then he throws his arms around Derek again and congratulates him on finishing. I'm the proudest father alive, he tells the press afterwards, tears in his eyes. I'm prouder of him than I would have been if he had won the gold medal. It took a lot of guts for him to do what he did. Why do you think Jim Redmond had an inclination to run down and help his son? Where'd that come from? Some idea that popped into his mind as a result of some evolutionary forces? No. That's who God is. That's who your father. Is. And he's there with you every single step of the way. And he'll be with you in glory. We need to be fathers who are there for our children when things get tough. And be dads who go through things with them. Praying with them, trusting God with them, crying with them. The process is just as glorious as the product. Carry them along, dads. That's who God is. I mean, all of us in here, I think if we know our son or our daughter is going through pain and difficulty, we want to be there for them, right? That that comes from God. That's who He is, and, and we're created to image Him. Number six, lastly. God has prepared a glorious future for us. This isn't all there is, not all theres <laughs> is that good news? There is a glorious future awaiting you if you are God's child. Look at verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There there will be a glorious future for God's children where sin and suffering and death are no more. You can bank on that. God's prepared it. We will have glorified, resurrected bodies. We will dwell forever with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation 22, we get kind of a little glimpse of this. We read a little bit about this future. Listen to what God has prepared for you. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. We will see his face. His name will be on our foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign. We will reign with Christ. Forever and ever. And ever. This is our glorious future. That God has prepared for us just a tiny glimpse, and and, and all of creation, all of creation eagerly longs and waits for that day when we get to walk into what he's prepared for us. Until that day, until that day, dads. We can image God by preparing a a glorious future for our children here on earth. We, We can leave for them a spiritual heritage Of knowing Christ and treasuring Christ. We can prepare them for a lifetime of rich study and application. Love for the scriptures. We can teach them how to pray for and serve and, and love others in the church. We can model personal worship for them at home. I love this picture of James Patton. James Patton was a father of missionary to the New Hebrides, John Patton. And John Piper tells the story of John Patton recounting uh, his father's life. And he said, his life revolved around Bible reading and prayer. John Patton recalls how at the center of their home, their father would regularly commune with God in the closet. The closet, John writes, was a very small apartment, having room only for a bed, a little table, and a chair with a diminutive window-shedding light on the scene. This was the sanctuary of the cottage home, oftentimes a day. Generally, after every meal, we saw our father retire and shut the door, and we children got to understand with sort of a spiritual instinct that prayers were being poured out for us there. Such private prayer was not only answered by God, but it was observed by James's son, John, who left everything for the sake of the gospel. And went and brought the light of the gospel to a land where cannibalism was featured Its most prominent. John says, I can still hear the echoes of those cries to God, pushing back all doubt with a victorious appeal. Yet he walked with God. Why may not I? Dads, may, may your children say as a result of observing your life, he walked with God. Why may not I? We can, we can prepare that kind of future for them by modeling our walk with God and worship of God. In addition to preparing for them a spiritual future, we can do all we can to ensure our flir- children flourish in every area of lives. We can take good physical care of them, cultivate their gifts and talents, instruct them in practical wisdom, protect them from harm. We can also take good physical care of ourselves so we're around long enough to see them through and to see their children's children flourish. God is sovereign. He will lead. We can take responsibility to do all we can, though, as images of the Father. I'm going to go ahead and conclude. Worship team, you guys, come on back up. Church, I hope you're encouraged. God, God our Father leads us. God our Father does not scare us. God our Father chose to adopt us. He provides for us. He's with us in the good and the bad. And God has prepared a glorious future for us. That's what God, like, what God is like as Father. I don't know how this day feels to you. Or what you think about it. Or where you find yourself in the fatherhood continuum this morning but I do know this with God as our father we are indeed blessed sons and daughters amen if you're here this morning and you do not know God as father then today can be the day that that changes for you God has given us his own son Jesus, in order to make us sons and daughters of Him. And Jesus has lived the perfect life on our behalf. All the commands God has given us that we fall short of, He did not. And He lived the perfect life, He lived the righteous life that was required. And then he died a sin atoning death on the cross for us. On the cross, Jesus bore all of our sin, all of our fatherhood failures, all of our shame, all of our guilt. It's all been paid for. God poured his punishment, he poured his wrath out on his son on the cross. That we would have eternal life, that we could have Jesus' perfect life, that we could go free and forgiven. But not just that, he didn't just leave us there, forgiven. He brought us into his family, he made us heirs of all things, he prepares a wonderful future for us. And that can be yours if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's happened to hundreds of us here this morning. It's by God's sheer mercy. If you're here today and you want to have God as your father, you can pray and ask him to be your father today. If you, if you know somebody who's here, who's a Christian, I encourage you to talk to them after the service. If you're here and you don't know anybody, I'd love to, to talk with you after the service. But don't, don't let this day go by. It's Father's Day. I just encourage you pursue pursue God to be your father. For the dads who are here this morning embracing their responsibilities to their children. And I think there are many and we praise God for that. Even at our best, we will not do this perfectly. But aren't you grateful that God the Father is not like us? You have a perfect Father in heaven. Aren't you grateful our mistakes can't mess up his master plan for our children? I don't know what you have planned for the rest of this day, but if you've not done so already, I just encourage you, plan to take some time and thank God. For who he is in your life. And what he's done for you. For being the father we never can be. And ask him. Cry out to him for specific help. To help you image him. With your children. I want to close by. Just asking all the dads here this morning. Could you please stand up. If you're a father. You're here with us. If you're a spiritual father as well. You're here with us. Let's thank God. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. If I could have everybody stand up now and just gather around, Dad, close to you, and join me in prayer. Let's pray for these men. Encourage these men. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fathers in our lives, Lord. Thank you for these men. They are gifts to us, God. And we ask for your blessings on their lives, Lord. Blessings for all of them. Lord, we ask that you forgive where it is needed. Thank you, Lord, for these men who sustain and support us in our living, who demonstrate your love to us through Christ-like sacrifice, for our good. Each man in here who's laying down his life, for the good of his family. Lord, what a precious gift. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for being that father to us. I pray you would give our fathers wisdom and humility in the face of the task of parenting. Lord, give them strength to do good to their children all their days. Thank you for all those who've helped fill the void when fathers pass early or absent for grandfathers and uncles and brothers and cousins and teachers, pastors, coaches. Thank you for the women in our families who've stepped up and cared for their children in the midst of not having a father. Lord, most of all, thank you for caring for us. Thank you for being our father. We praise you. We worship you. You know all the needs present here this morning. Please care for each person. Continue to help us live in the good of being your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.